0: I was in a fairly severe um, bike accident, push-bike accident, about four months ago, which um, broke and dislocated and it all snap, crackle, pop, all the stuff that <laughs> happens with that. And uh, it's been a bit of a journey, and um, the last part of the, the medical side of that was all finished this week, and now it's just, um, just recovery, which is uh, amazing, so praise God for that, and, um, and also thank you for your prayers for Ryland this last week as well, for those that have kept track of that late last Sunday afternoon. Uh, Ryland also decided that push bikes were fun and was trying to do a jump at Black Hill, a 40-foot jump, which he made about 48, 38 foot of the 40-foot jump, so he almost got there, um, and yeah, came off and and was um, rushed to hospital, but he's okay. He's here today, so he's fine. So thank you for your prayers over the past season. And um, how fun are bikes? They're supposed to be the, the ones that's easy on the knees and your joints, yeah? like it's a non-contact one. So Not our experience, but anyway. <laughs> cool. To continue our series on the birth of hope, what does it look like to prepare for you for Christmas. What does it look like to prepare for Christmas? We have, I have heard quite, let's call them passionate conversations, picking words, about what time church should be on on Christmas Day. Passionate conversations. Now the motivation for these passionate conversations is generally to do with the food in the oven being ready at a certain time. And there's this tension of kids getting up and gifts and food at lunch and so passionate conversations, robust debate would be another way of putting it about what time because there's preparation that has to go in to Christmas. For some of us, we've, we've got to travel and there's distance involved. Let, let's see who like, what amount of travel we've got in the room. Hands up if you've got to travel 10 kilometers at Christmas, yeah, If you what about 20 Keep your hand up if it's more than like 30, 30 Ks, more, 40, 50, 60, or oh, we're still going, 70, do we have 80, 80, going once, 88 we've got 90, no, we go to 100, 100 Ks, okay, oh, we've got 100 there, 200, oh, we're still going, 300, yikes, where on earth are you going? Sydney, wow, oh, Brisbane, we got Sydney and Brisbane, wow, oh, so, what, so are you guys heading to family or getting away from family, what, what's the, no, no, you, that's okay, <laughs> Now, but to head to Sydney or Brisbane, like um, there's preparation involved, you don't just sort of go, and as we know, even when you prepare for a trip like that, you just don't know. Like the unforeseen can happen. And so preparation is, yes, we can prepare for the worst, uh, prepare for the best, and <laughs> hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Yeah, no, I had it right, didn't I? Yeah, it sounded wrong in my head. Maybe it's, I'm out of practice. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. I wonder what it looks like for us, though, to prepare for hope Last week, we, we started the series on the birth of hope, and we talked about how we have hope in Jesus, both in the now, as what Jesus has done for us on the cross, and we have hope of a restored relationship with God through Jesus. We also have hope for tomorrow that there is a second coming, when Jesus will come again and call all the believers to be with him, and in that time, there will be peace on earth. There will be peace everywhere, and it will be this, this perfect, perfect kingdom That's going to come, but in between there's this space, and we have a job in this space. But what does it look like to prepare for that? To prepare each day in the hope that we have in Jesus? What does it look like to prepare each day in the hope that is to come? Today we're going to look at Scripture to see what it is to prepare for hope. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray today as we we open up Scripture that you'll speak to us where we need to hear it the most, both as individuals but also as your church. God, we pray that as we prepare for hope, that we would have an awareness that hope is found in Jesus, and that in him there is incredible love and peace and comfort and joy. And God, we pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen. We went camping about 10, 11, 12 years ago for the very first time as a family, and we prepared for hope, for, for camping anyway, and the hope that it would be great. We had our people mover absolutely packed. It's sort of that time where you, you get someone to hold the boot and somebody else gets a run-up to sort of get that final bit of the latch to click. You know, it is absolutely packed. And then we, we should have known that it wasn't going to go well because we had just turned out of our driveway in the next corner and the heavens opened up and it was... We're in Sydney, and it was Sydney monsoon rain. Like we couldn't see two car lengths in front of us. The kids are in the back. You know that that peaceful, calm, getting ready to camp moment. You know the kids are like, "Ah, frizzed." Yvette and I are looking at each other, just going, "What are we doing?" And and we, we the rain did clear, and we we went to this incredible camping ground that we've been to with some other groups, but we thought this is such a great space. Let's go with just our family. I set up a a tarp on an angle thinking this is great because I can fix this really well. I'll I'll get this end of the tarp and peg it into the ground because then we've got no wind or anything. It's great. And then I'll tie this part of the tarp to a tree and this part of the tarp to the car. Awesome ideas. Um, And that way we can put all of our table and gear in there and it's going to be great. What I didn't plan on was the strength of the wind and rain coming in on the exact same angle as the tarp. Um, and so we found ourselves that night with this incredible, loud, windy, wet storm happening where I'm holding the top of the tarp down while we're playing, trying to play Uno by torchlight. Um, with the sound of rain about two inches from your head on the tarp. So it is, it is this scene of noise and wet and wind and craziness. And Yvette's trying to calm the kids who were quite young at the time, and Geordie was the youngest, going, it's okay, it's an adventure. That's, that's how Yvette sounds, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not at all. But she's like, she's, it's, it's an adventure. And Geordie is like totally distraught with the sound and the, the sensory overload of it all. It's like, it's not an adventure! It's like, camping. Later that night, one of our kids decided to throw up in the tent everywhere. And the next day we went home. <laughs> Yay, camping. Now, we prepared. Like, we prepared. You couldn't fit any more prepared in. Like, prepared was like bursting out the windows. We were so prepared, yet we had to learn. You see, when it comes to preparing, there is an element of grace that means you can can actually fail. See, preparation actually gives you permission to fail because preparation has a purpose. You see, when you prepare for Christmas, you prepare for the purpose. We prepared for camping, but even in that, there was an element of unknown we weren't prepared for. But the grace and the focus of preparation for that purpose means that we have space and grace to fail, to learn, to grow. Would we do it the same? (laughs) Never, ever, ever. It was the worst. Um, and, And we've learned how to camp. And bike ride and stuff um, you, you prepare differently when when you you, you grow and, and take the the preparation part with a purpose it means you're never going to have all the answers because we 're not Jesus but if we learn from the failure then the purpose remains true you might be heading to, to Brisbane and Sydney and I hope it's all smooth sailing. We hope for the best, but but there could be elements of unknown. that the, the preparation is for the purpose. But sometimes a plane gets delayed or, or something happens and and you've prepared, you've done everything you can, it's not your fault. But in that there's elements of, of adaptation, failure. For example, if if you've grown up in church, or maybe maybe you've you're still on the journey, but but for those that have been Christians for a while and, and have had conversations with other people about your faith. You don't have to put your hands up for this one, but have you ever found yourself having a conversation with somebody where they've asked what seems to be a really simple question? And in the, the middle of this simple question, you're sitting there going, that's a really good question and I have no idea what the answer is. You know that moment where, where it's a simple question question about your faith, and you just go, I don't know. You may see that as a a total failure, but the preparation had a purpose. You were willing to have the conversation. Therefore, that's good. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You're having the conversation. In that, you're not going to have all the answers. But in that space, you prepare to go, well, can I get back to you? You prepare, it might have been a failure in the moment, but you're learning and growing and changing, and that is part of our discipleship journey. See, in Scripture, we read our main passage today is found in Matthew, where John the Baptist comes to prepare a way for hope, prepares a way for Jesus. He's preparing his people. And in that, we even see some, some little failures along the way where John's disciples and Jesus' disciples are comparing to one another and trying to navigate what this looks like and there's some, there's some uh, you know, comparing to others rather than focusing on Christ. And, and, and we see some, some nuances through this of people preparing as best they can and with great motivations, learning and growing. But today we're going to look at this this. Passage of scripture where John prepares us for Jesus. And it starts in John chapter, uh, Matthew chapter 3, and verse 1. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 2 and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken about through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. He's preparing for a purpose and the purpose is Jesus. Now the word repent at its very simplest form means to be sorry. Be sorry and be baptized. Now, the more we pick apart the word sorry, the more it actually resembles the word repent better. The, the word sorry has to have an action that's involved, that, that's connected to it. Otherwise, the word doesn't hold its meaning. For example, if I bump into someone really hard in in the foyer after the church, after the service, because I'm not paying attention where I'm going, and I go, oh, sorry then I need to change the, the way I'm paying attention in the foyer after the service. Because if the next Sunday I walk into the same person still not paying attention and go, bang, well, am I really sorry? Or, or am I, like, have, I, have my actions aligned with my words? You see, repentance is the action part. To say, I was living a certain way before. I was living for myself. I was living focused on things of the world, but I I repent and now I live for Jesus. I live for Christ. So repentant has this action. It goes on to say in in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather, leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Once again, the the confession is saying what they're doing wrong, and then they are baptized in the Jordan River. John, by definition of who he was and how he lived, showed a different way of living. At that time, as we we know, the Pharisees, there was a little bit of corruption and a little bit of arrogance that was sitting within the, the Pharisees at the time. And so, John, just by the way he lived, he said, Well, I want to show that there is no agenda other than pointing people to the one that's going to come. So, I'm going to wear like homemade clothes, camel's hair and a leather belt. I'm going to eat what's around, honey and locusts. There's no agenda. What, what do I get out of this? His life was a symbol of living differently. To point the way, his purpose wasn't just to live an alternative off-the-grid lifestyle. His purpose was to, to make a path for Jesus. You see, baptism by definition was, was a symbol of repentance. You see, you, you were baptised... And as you were baptised, there was an action to say, I'm sorry, I want to be born again, I want to live differently, I want to wash away the things that I was doing. So there's a symbolism in baptism that put an action to to the repentance, the the word sorry. So immediately people said, I'm sorry, I want to live differently, baptised. And it helped people put in their minds that there's an action aligned with believing or following this new way of living, which John points to Jesus in this, but Jesus isn't even born. Picture this. Oh, Jesus, sorry, Jesus is born, but he's not even in the, the story yet. He hasn't been to the cross. He hasn't forgiven people's sins through that, that death and resurrection yet. John's just saying, you can have a relationship with God, but you need to be sorry. And you need to put an action to that. That goes on in Verse 7. Where it says, he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing. He said to them, You brood of vipers. Pretty strong language. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember, sorry has an action. If you you repent, there will be an action, there will be fruit, there will be a lifestyle. And do you think you can say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father? I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is ready at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In this, he's saying that there is, we talked about it last week, first and second coming. The first coming means our relationship is right with God, the second coming means that there will be a time of judgment. And the axe is ready for this time when, when we will be called into account for the way that we live. Are you just saying the word sorry, or are you living out the word sorry? Are you living that, trying, trying to, to align your life with the way that Jesus taught us to live? This year we've been on this journey as a church about what it is to follow Jesus. It's not enough just to hear the words uh, that we read in, in Matthew yeah, 7.24, but it says, don't, don't just hear the words, but put them into action. That's what the wise man does that builds his house on the rock. It's the action point, living it out. And we see that, that John is saying the same thing. He says, you know what? You might be a good person. You might have grown up in a great family. He's saying in this passage, you may be an Israelite, God's chosen people. He's anointed from, from the the line of Abraham. You might even be a direct descendant of King David himself. But if your actions are not aligning with what you're saying you you live for, are not aligning, that doesn't mean anything. You need to produce the fruit. You need to show and live and and, and put this into practice in the way you live. He goes on to say in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But another comes, one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His willowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. We see in this, uh, firstly, an incredible humility in John. He says, I'm not even worthy to carry the sandals of Jesus. Yes, I've got a purpose. Yes, yes, I understand where my place is in the world. But I'm not even worthy to carry his shoes, let alone walk in his footsteps. I'm I'm just not, I'm nothing. I baptize you with water. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does that mean? See, quite often like, like when we think of water, when we the, the symbolism of of being baptized in water is water just touches the surface, the outside of us. And yes, there's incredible symbolism in that. J- John was baptizing in water, saying, This is a symbol, as if you die and come to life again, as if you are you washed clean. It's, it's a symbolism of of going into the water and becoming like the thing that you want to be baptised into. We've talked about this previously, the word baptismo, baptism, um, meaning you're immersed into a substance so much so that you become like the substance. Uh, when I'm doing baptism conversations with kids, mostly kids, I usually have a biscuit and a drink, and I put the biscuit in the drink, so this, what is this? It's a biscuit, I put it into the drink, and... That's it. And I say, now what is it? Well, it's a biscuit. But it's become like whatever I immersed it into. If it's coffee, it's a biscuit infused with coffee. And that, that's actually like a closer definition to actually what baptism is. We are baptized into Christ. We are still ourselves, but we've taken on his characteristics. And see, when Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit, it's like fire. Water's skin deep, fire penetrates. Fire consumes, fire engulfs, fire fire takes up everything. And and the idea of being baptised in the Holy Spirit is Jesus wants every part of you, not just what's on the outside, just not what you present to people, but everything, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your thoughts, your actions, your opinions, your language, he wants it all. And when you're baptised with the Holy Spirit, it's all-encompassing. It's all consuming. The beautiful part about this is baptism is at the start of your journey. That, you know Preparation gives you permission to fail. It starts your journey. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the knowledge. You don't have to know everything. It just signifies that from this moment forwards, I'm going to prepare to live in a way that honors hope, that honors Jesus from this day forwards. John prepared people for this hope. He prepared people for hope, but Jesus also prepared us for what was yet to come. And in that, he gives us some advice on how to live each day. Essentially, Jesus tells us how to prepare for hope. He tells a story, and we're going to sort of skim over most of it today, um, but we'll put it up there just to... to for accountability, of course, but Matthew chapter 25 talks about a parable that Jesus talks about 10 virgins, and, and for sake of um, clarification of what this means, the virgins are kind of like modern-day bridesmaids, so they're not the bride, but the virgin's job was to prepare the bride for the groom, and in those days, the, cu- the custom was that the groom had to do all sorts of stuff, including building a room onto the house. For them to live in. Uh, There's all sorts of different things that had to take place in in the culture for someone to get married. But what it, it resulted in is the night where the groom came to get the bride. There were certain things that had to take place which would take an unknown amount of time. And so when Jesus is telling this parable, everybody in that culture are going, Oh yeah, I remember when I got married, it was like that. Yeah, I didn't know when they were going to come. So we prepared. And part of preparing was the bridesmaids, or the ten virgins, would have lamps. And in those days, they didn't have rechargeable batteries. You had to use oil. And every 15 to 20 minutes, you needed to top up the oil. So you needed a lot of oil. Oil was expensive. Oil was consumable and needed to be prepared. And and Jesus tells this parable about how there were five of the bridesmaids that were organized and had enough oil and five didn't and it goes on to say that that the ones that didn't said to the ones that did have enough oil can you can we have some of your oil please we're running low and they said but if we give you some we don't have we've prepared for ourselves to last all night and we won't have enough and we'll all run out and it won't go well go and buy some more oil and so they go off to get the oil and why they go off to get the oil. The groom comes and collects the, the five bridesmaids and the bride, and they go off to this incredible wedding banquet. And the five that, that hadn't prepared go in and find the door. And it says this in verse 11. Later, the ones also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door and let us in. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day. Nor the hour. And in that they say there is, there is a day that is coming when Jesus will come again and we'll see peace. And we'll whatever our understanding of that, peace on earth, when we see that, that God will, will have the, the overarching rule over the government that we saw in the Isaiah passages last week, when all that will take place. And on that day, you're either producing a harvest with the way that you live or you're not. And there's a judgment that will be whether you're in with God or out. Now, some people take that as a bit of a, you know, therefore, repent. Otherwise, you're going to go to hell. I don't believe that's the tone of Scripture. I believe the tone of Scripture says this. Those believers that have found hope and live with that peace have a job to do before this time. Share hope with others. Love others. Be salt and life in this earth while we have time because we don't know. It could be any day. Therefore, live today as if this is the day. Make the most of the day. Make the most of the moments. Make the most of the opportunities to share hope with the people around us. Make the most of of the opportunities to enjoy the world that God made for us. To live life and life to the full. But make sure that when this time comes, that people know that there is a way to live. A way to embrace hope. See, preparation gives us permission, permission to, to fail, permission to mess up. Hope gives us the focus. If you're going to fail, fail in the right direction. If you're going to fail, fail doing your best to serve Jesus. If you're going to mess up, mess up, fall in the right in the right direction if you're going to fall. Because in that, there is a purpose in the preparation. The purpose is to, to live for Christ. We're not going to have all the answers because we're not Jesus. We see time and time the disciples messed up. The disciples fail all the time. And yeah, Jesus got frustrated with them. He sent out the 72 and they came back and they, oh, we couldn't do this, we couldn't do that. It's like, oh, man, I told you. You've got to fast for this one. You've got to do that. Ah, oh, they're still serving. Yes, they failed, but they're they're serving and failing in the right direction. Make sure that as we live, we know that we are forgiven for the times we we mess up. But continue to push in to hope, push into the way He's called us to live. We come now to a time of communion. And our common union is hope, hope that is found in Jesus, hope that that was given to us when Jesus died on the cross. You see, Jesus paid for the mistakes that we make with his life in our place. We, We take the biscuit as a representation of Jesus' body as he took the punishment for the things that we've done wrong. And we take the juice that represents that no matter what you have done, how much you've messed up, that when you say sorry, you will be forgiven. His blood was poured out for that. Nothing can separate you from hope. Nothing can separate you from God. He wants to be a part of every part of your life, so much so that he paid the ultimate price to do that. In a moment, I'll invite everybody to make your way up to the the tables. And in that time, there's two cups. One cup has the biscuit representing Jesus' body. The other cup has the juice representing his blood. And I'll get you to, to take a seat and we'll drink, drink together as the body of Christ. But before we do that, I'll pray and then we'll have some beautiful music. Thank you. Uh, while you make your way forwards, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for hope. We thank you for the birth of hope. We thank you that right now we get to prepare ourselves. As we come forwards and acknowledge that there have been times when we have messed up this week. There have been times we've messed up this month or this year. And that as we come forwards, we have a confidence that when we say sorry, you will forgive us because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you that we are not bound by guilt, but we are set free because of grace. God, as we take that biscuit and take that cup, may we come forwards with a a heart of repentance, of saying sorry, but putting that into an action to try and live and prepare for hope this week, knowing that we don't do it alone, that your spirit goes with us in every element of our life as it consumes us like a loving flame. Lord, I pray that there would be a burden that is lifted this morning from those that have been carrying things that are not theirs to carry. That Jesus made a way. That Jesus died for that burden so that you don't need to carry it. So that you could be free. And then in that, you can prepare each day to live a life in his light and be salt and light on this earth. God, we thank you for your son. We thank you for what he did on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.